0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. We're going to start with our summary sentence this morning. It's not as long as we're used to. It says, as believers, we should actively remind ourselves of the truth God has shared with us in order to live out that truth on a daily basis. Um, and for our kids this morning, believing truth about God should change the way I would normally think and behave. Might be a little bit blurry. As believers, we should actively remind ourselves of the truth God has shared with us in order to live out that truth on a daily basis. It sounds so simplistic, but I'm sure even in our discussion time this morning, there are times when our go-to perspective is not one of God's promises, right? Oftentimes, it's just survival mode. Like I've been presented with a circumstance, a situation, and my first inclination are the survival instincts of what do I need to do to protect myself or to to save this situation, this circumstance? And it's not always God's promise that we initially want to cling to. And so this idea of actively reminding ourselves of the truth that God has shared with us so that we then live out that truth on a daily basis. So I'm going to reference my notes occasionally, just some extra thoughts that I had in regards to some of this uh, some of the the truths that we're going to look at today. I put in my notes, I said there is a direct correlation between what we know and what we show. okay So there's a direct correlation between what we know and what we show. okay So what I'm choosing to know, is going to be played out in how I live, right? I mean, that's just very simplistic thinking. We teach our kids that. um, You know, if you're thinking this way, that's why you did this to your sister, right? Because you were thinking this way. Okay, so just very common, very basic. I'm going to define a couple of terms for us, and these are not Merriam-Webster's definitions um, for these next two terms, but terms that we'll kind of use going forward uh, today. The first one is, uh, functional theology, and you see it on your sheet, um, and it's basically how we live out our daily activities and purposes based on what we believe to be true. Functional theology, how we live out our daily activities and purposes based on what we believe to be true. So this is kind of our street level theology, like day to day. This is how I'm I'm living and doing and and acting and behaving because somewhere I'm believing something about how I'm believe, how I'm acting and behaving. So again, back to that idea of, you know, what I know is going to be lived out in what I do. Well, this is kind of the what I'm doing, how I'm acting, how I'm behaving. So that functional theology or applicable theology might would be a, another term that you would use for this, but it's basically my my uh street level understanding. You know when when I'm at work or you know I'm with my family and I'm, I'm I have a situation or a circumstance come up, this is that basic understanding that I respond out of that I choose to to think to to trust in now the other piece of this is our formal theology, and this is every this is all that we say we know to be true as revealed to us from God, from God's divinely inspired word. So it's everything we say we know to be true to one another. So for our kids, the truth God shares with us in the Bible. So when I teach on a Sunday, um, or when I'm in my personal Bible study, or I'm in my discipleship group together, these are things that we're saying to one another... That we know are true. You see, you've got my reflection right here. That's that's nice, isn't it? Don't let that distract you. So this is everything that we say to one another in those moments where we're studying God's truth together, and it's like that awesome, like hoorah moment, like when we're when we're worshiping together on Sunday morning, and it's just a moment where we just, you know, we set everything else aside mentally, and it's like this is truth, and 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 we're just. Rep- Proclaiming it back to God, and 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 you know, proclaiming to Him His awesomeness and our brokenness and how undeserving we are of it, and that's just like our our what we say we know. That's that a, that truth that we know we're supposed to rely on and know that we're supposed to trust in. But it it leads us to question: Why are there two different terms here? Right? Why is there this? Functional street level understanding, and then why is this there? Why is there this formal understanding that we say is truth in in settings like this, where you know we're we're speaking to one another and and discussing things that are that are true about God? And um, I thought back to uh, a couple of us were in a uh, biblical counseling class on Saturdays in the in uh, the fall and the spring. There was one conversation that came up, and it really struck me as um, just kind of, I don't know, it was like an aha, you know, Holy Spirit punch to the gut moment. Um, and uh, and it kind of led me to these two terms right here. And this is how these two terms, functional and formal theology, relate together. This isn't verbatim what we said, but basically our functional theology will only completely match our formal theology. When we reside in a glorified state. And until then, our functional theology or understanding should be progressively becoming more and more similar to our formal theology. So that last part we know is sanctification, right? How I'm living out my life should increasingly become more and more similar to what I know, to what I say is true, right? So I'm, I'm trying to get these two together throughout my lifetime. I'm growing in what I know is true, what I communicate to others as true, and I'm trying to, I'm living towards this goal of becoming more Christ-like and identify my life being a true reflection of what I say I know to be true. So it really kind of challenged me in the moment. It was just like, I mean, it, it can almost seem like uh, overwhelming and, and burdening in a sense to know that I won't completely match up, but that's the truth, right? I mean, if we say we don't have sin, we, make our, we deceive ourselves and, and the truth is not in us. So, I mean, that's just the reality of our broken state that we live in, is that even though I cannot completely live in light of what I know and say to be true, it's still my goal to uh, achieve that in my life, um, to become Christ-like in my marriage and in my family, in my workplace Um, because of the work that he's done in me, the investment that he's made in me, the sacrifice that he's made for me. um, You know, that's the pursuit that I'm on as a believer, and it's a lifelong journey. So I never get to the point where I say, okay, I've made it to my formal understanding, and I'm living like it, right? It's this ongoing pursuit. So again, very basic for us, you know, things for us to be reminded of, but there's this tension that's happening on and on um, in our life, so that led me to think through: Why is there a difference? What's hindering me from living in light of what I know to be true? From what's hindering from uh, what's hindering me from living in a way that matches my formal theology? And I think uh, this is this next slide is a, a Bonhoeffer quote that um, I think sometimes, for me at least. This tends to be a huge reason. He says, Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God, right? Satan's not trying as believers to get us to just hate the things of God. Like, no, this truth is wrong. No, what you're trying to do in me is wrong. It's more of a, don't remember that. That's not important. You don't need to know that. That's not true. Don't think about those things. Like, this is your life. Enjoy it. Leave those things behind. There's no need for those things. That's the the root um, cause for me in my own life is that uh, as I'm seeking to live out that formal, what I know and say to be true, that's what's keeping me from it in those moments. It's like I'm choosing not to remember, right? I'm, I'm forgetting about it. And this happens a lot at my house. Um, this is something I hear a lot um so jack why did you do that to your sister again i'm sorry i forgot jack why didn't you go and clean that up like i asked you to i'm sorry i forgot right it's jack i love you and i know that you have a tendency to forget i do too um but you know we need to make this more of a priority like The issue for Jack is that it's not important to him, right? That's why he forgets, is it's not a priority for him to remember it, so he forgets it, right? But it almost comes off as, I'm innocent. It's not my fault that I forgot. And I think that's where we're inclined to be sometimes as well, where it's like, I found myself in this circumstance and in this situation, and it wasn't my fault that i didn't remember god's promise of his faithfulness in this or you know it, it slipped my mind and and i reacted in this way to this person and treated them harshly like this but i mean that's that's okay right i mean it's just human nature i mean i i wasn't i didn't i wasn't intentional to treat this person like i'm called to so i forgot and so we have to be careful that this lapse in memory doesn't become an excuse for us to go to to say, it's not my fault that I didn't remember. Um, And I think Romans 1 sheds a lot of light on this for us. And if you want to turn to Romans 1, I'm going to read um, first couple of, let's see, verses 18 through 25. Now just keep in mind, this is the cloth that we've been cut from. Okay, this Romans 1. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So I pulled out a couple of different pieces in this section of scripture for us to, to kind of dig in and identify what is really happening in my mind. In the midst of my circumstances and situations where I choose either uh, one thing or another. I either choose to live outside of the way I want to see it or I choose to live out of God's reality of how it really is. So a couple of different things going on here. Verse 18 says that who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that's an active suppression that's happening. There's nothing about forgetting there, right? And then verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So we've got some some knowledge about God that is plain, to, that can be understood. And then it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So there's a knowing of him, but then not a display of knowing him. Okay, so there's this... Um, it's not matching one another. So... I know him, but I don't show that I know him. Uh, verse 23, if you've got it open, Tyson's going to come up and assist me here. It says, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. So this, there's this active exchanging that's happening where I'm taking what I know to be true and then I'm changing it out with something else, right? So, Uh, I'm taking the glory of God and I'm swapping it out for something else. So there's this, again, this active thing that's happening. Not this innocent forgetfulness, but this active choosing that's happened. And then verse 25, they exchange the truth, very simply, about God for a lie. Now, this is the reality of, of what is happening. And we can tie this back to our own forgetfulness, because in our forgetfulness, we're not actively remembering the truth that God has already revealed to us. So in essence, we are actively exchanging that truth for a lie. Again, this is the cloth that we've come from. This is the life that we once lived, but don't live anymore. So we are inclined in this way to do this. And if we feel like it's just naturally my formal theology or understanding is just going to display itself, we're very wrong. It doesn't just naturally come out. I don't naturally choose to see things through God's reality, which is the only reality. I naturally choose to see things the way I want to see them, which is my next point. We it says an active exchange happens on a daily basis in the midst of our everyday decisions and choices when we choose to believe lies instead of the truth. This is what I'm... This is what I'm willfully choosing to believe, right, are these lies. These lies that either I've made up on my own or lies that the world has conjured up for me to believe in, all in an effort for me to forget about God's glory, all in an effort to forget about the truth that he offers, right? For our kids, it says, every decision I make is an opportunity to believe God's truth or my own lies. So there's, there's something more than just forgetting, right? There's something more that's happening. There's an active exchange, active decisions that's happening. Ultimately, this is a preference issue for us. Um, it's what we want. We're choosing what we want. And again, that's very simple and basic. But that's what... The bottom line, mentally, in our minds, that's what we're doing. We're choosing what we prefer. And that can be scary to think about. When you take the innocence of forgetfulness away, and you realize what's actually happening, that I am preferring to see things this way versus in God's reality. And then you think about how often that happens. Remember we talked about... In my day-to-day activities, how often do the promises of God come to, my, to the forefront of my mind? What most naturally influences my decisions on a day-to-day basis? And when you think about the ratio between choosing to think about God's promises and then choosing to just think about, you know, what do I need to do right here? Or, or what, uh, what's just my natural feeling about this? It can be very scary. When you think about that, there's an active choosing that's happening. Um, that's just what this next slide is. It's just ultimately, it, it's an issue of preference, where we're saying, "This is what I want over that." We're saying, "God, I don't want you influencing this situation right now. I don't want you here. I don't want to think about the things of you. I've got this. I'm in control of the situation, God." It's the, it runs that deep for us, and if we continue to just play it off innocently and play the role of a victim, you know, I can't help it, I forgot, we're going to find ourselves in a very dangerous situation at some point down the road if we haven't already. Um, so we're going to go into some five different truths for us to choose And as we go through these, we're going to look at different situations where somebody either focused on and remembered the truth that they had been shown or even communicated by God, and they chose to enjoy that truth, right? That's what what God wants us to do, enjoy His truth that He's provided for us. It's not burdensome to be comforted no matter what. It's not burdensome to have peace no matter what doesn't mean that life is easy. It means that no matter what life is, I can find those things in him. Comfort, peace. I I can find relationship no matter the situation through him. So as we go through these truths, we're going to find people who enjoyed this truth as they thought about it. And then we're going to find people who exchanged that truth for something else. Um, So we'll dive right into the first truth which got is is God is good. The first truth to choose, which is a little bit of a tongue twister, is God is good. Um, We see this truth enjoyed by Abraham in Genesis 22, 1 through 10. It's just um, you don't have to turn there, but you are more than welcome to. And it's essentially the sacrifice of Isaac. Um, So, situation is, Isaac's been born despite Isaac, uh, Abraham being old and Sarah being barren and old. Um, Isaac grows up, and then God at some point has this conversation with Abraham where he says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And so you, you imagine Abraham, he's tracking along. Okay, i got Isaac. Yeah, okay, I'm going to take, he's my only son. Yep, okay. And I love him, you're right, yeah. Okay, we're going to travel. Okay, we're going on a trip again. Uh, this sounds familiar. And then offer him as a burnt offering. And it's like, wait, what was the last part? You. I was tracking along and then what? It's like, God, that goes right in the face of what you promised me to make me a great nation that you promised me that Sarah would have a son and that and that my descendants would occupy this land, that this would be our land together. What are you doing? You're ruining what you told me you were going to do. And so if we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes and try to identify with what Abraham could have been thinking, because he was a normal man, normal person, he's tracking along, and then all of a sudden he comes to this situation we has to make a decision, right? Am I going to trust in what I know is true about God in this situation? Am I going to trust that God is who he's always said he was in this situation right now? And it's the same deal we have to do, right? i got a circumstance, a situation. Am I going to choose to trust in this truth right now? The very next verse, verse says, And Abraham got up early the next day, and he set out. So it's obvious to us that despite other instances where Abraham faltered, even in this specific truth, that he chose in that moment to trust that God is good. I don't know why he wants me to do this, but I'm going to make an active choice to remember who God has said he is and proven that he is, and I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to follow him in this. All right, so that's Abraham enjoying this truth. Um, Earlier in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve exchange this truth of God's goodness for suspicion. Okay? So Adam and Eve are in the garden. Satan sees an opportunity to wreck God's perfect Garden and perfect creation; those who he created in his image. He shows up in disguise, and what does he try to attack? He tries to to attack Adam and Eve's knowledge of who God is, of who he is. Did God really say? And all of a sudden, it's it's a straight attack on their knowledge of God. And now Adam and Eve choose suspicion instead of remembering that God is good. And that seed of suspicion, did God really say, and their lack of knowing what he actually said, because when Eve goes to quote what God said, it's not the same. But that seed of suspicion begins in their mind and leads to broken relationship and disobedience, where they say, maybe he's not like this. Maybe this isn't who God is. Maybe he's not good. Maybe I've got to figure out what's good for me. And I have to act on it. Right? And what we need to remember is that the best thing we can do for our good is to remember that he is good. Right? Not the best thing for my good is for me to do good for me. But the best thing for my good is to remember that he is good. All right, the next truth to choose is that God is in control. God is in control. We see this enjoyed by Isaac in Genesis 26, 1 through 6. Um, There's a famine in the land, and if there's one thing we know about famine in the Middle East, go to Egypt, right? When things dry out and there's no food, you got to head to that Nile, right? you got to get there. There's still water, and so if there's still water, there's still food, right? So... Isaac, there's famine in the land. He's like any one of us. He's got a family to take care of. He's got herds and, and you know, lots of who knows how many people that are trusting him with his decision. So he says, Why? Well, you know, e- Egypt seems like a good option for me, too. And God comes out and says, Isaac, wait, whoa, don't go down to Egypt. I know it seems like the best option from your perspective. Don't go to Egypt. And so Isaac in that moment has to make a decision. Am I going to trust what I know to be true about God is still true about God? That he is in control. That he's provided for us all throughout this way. That uh, that I've seen him display his control in other times in, in our lives with my parents. Am I going to trust that what I know to be true about God, that he's in control, is still true about God? And thankfully... Isaac does choose to trust this mentally, and so he goes as far south as Gerar, doesn't go into Egypt, right? Yeah, ironically, and maybe due to the uh, heat exhaustion, Isaac is the same one that we see exchange this truth right after this. Okay, so Isaac makes his way to Gerar, and the very next section, he's afraid of the men of the city. He's afraid that they're going to kill him because of uh, Rebecca's appearance. So, surprise, Isaac is like us. He's a a person, and so he has his, his ups and downs, his moments. And so, for Isaac, in that moment, he fails to remind himself that what I know to be true about God, that he is in control, is still true about God. And so... I'm going to choose self-preservation instead of the enjoyment of resting in the truth that God is in control. I've got to take care of me. I've got to look out for myself so that I continue to live. Rebecca, say that you're my sister. All right? And then, of course, Abimelech, we know, looks out the window and sees Rebecca and Isaac laughing in a way that husbands and wives laugh, apparently, and calls him out. And says, hey, you could have caused somebody to, to make a mistake here and, and picture your wife as good marriage material. What's the deal? And so because Isaac chooses self-preservation, now there's a strife and, and you know argument and like broken relationship between Isaac and Abimelech. So Isaac chooses to trust that God is in control when it comes to the famine, makes his way to Gerar, and then exchanges that truth for self-preservation. The next truth for us to choose to trust, or the truth to choose, is that God keeps his promises. I really like this passage. Um, so it's uh, enjoyed by Abraham in Genesis 23 when Abraham buries Sarah. Um It says, Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. We know that right now where Abraham and his um, family are, they don't own any land, right? He says, we're sojourners. I'm passing through. We also know this is the land that God's promised to give them. to to give to their descendants. And so Abraham, knowing that truth, realizes that God is a God who keeps his promises, so I'm going to approach these people and ask them if I can purchase some land that I'll eventually own so that I can bury my wife here. Right? Seems innocent. But because Abraham makes a decision to trust God's promises, he decides, I'm not going to take my wife her body back to Ur, which makes sense because that's where we're from, I'm going to buy land right here because I know that this is the land that God's promised us and God is a God who keeps his promises. Okay? So mentally, somewhere in this moment of mourning, Abraham makes that mental choice to choose to trust this truth that God keeps his promises. this is different from how I'm sorry. I wanted to make reference to this. Um, there are a couple times that we've thought about this before. These are the five promises that are made to us in the gospel that we had looked at almost a year ago that we had shared. And they were promises that, um, they're obviously not all-encompassing promises, but they're some of those quick, easy reminders, because they all start with F, some of those quick, easy reminders for us of the promises That God has made to us. But then there are also promises that can be communicated during a gospel conversation. Like it's not just all about dying to yourself. Which is difficult, right, on a daily basis. But these are promises that we can hang on to in the midst of that. In the midst of living for Christ and and becoming um, Christ-like in that pursuit. These are those five promises that we had communicated last time. This is just extra credit, okay? So feel free to jot this on the back somewhere. Um, But I felt like it it was a good reminder for us in the midst of these promises that God keeps, for us to keep these on the forefront of our mind, right? These are the promises that we've been made, that I can cling on to, that I can remind myself of. Um if you feel like you, if you didn't get all those let me know and um and we can go back to them afterwards. All right, so we saw Abraham chose to trust the truth that God keeps his promises, right? When he when he goes to bury his wife knowing that the land that has been promised will eventually belong to his descendants. But we see this truth exchanged by Rebecca. This is something that we looked at not too long ago. Um and actually what kind of initially stirred my thinking around these promises and, and exchanging those promises. So um Rebecca, previous to um Isaac and I mean uh Jacob and Esau being born, is promised by God that the younger will rule over the older. Yet whenever it comes time for Um, Isaac to give the birthright to Jacob. Uh, Obviously, he's choosing to give it to Esau. And so automatically, Rebecca comes up with this scheme. Oh, no, this is not good. I mean, God told me this was going to happen. But Isaac's about to give it to Esau. I've got to get in there and fix this or else it's it's not going to be right. It's not going to be what God promised me. And I've got to fix it. I've got to go in there and make sure it doesn't happen the way it's not supposed to happen. So she comes up with this scheme, you know, to dress uh, Jacob up like Esau, big hairy man, you know, gives him the right smell, the right um, fragrance uh, to wear so that he appears like Esau, he feels like him, you know, helps him make the right food so that, you know, Isaac believes that it really is Jacob instead of Esau. But on the other side of this, what ends up happening is she destroys her family. We know that Esau gets so mad at Jacob that he wants to kill him. So they have to send Jacob away. There's this broken relationship between um Isaac and, and Esau because now Isaac can't give Esau the blessing and Isaac's mad about that. And so it just really now the whole family just ends up in shambles, right? All because Rebecca chose in that moment when she overheard the conversation that Isaac was having, she chose not to trust that God keeps his promises. I've got to fix this. This is not going to be the way it's supposed to be. God is not who he says he is right now. God is not who he's proven to be right now. And now I've got to step in and fix it before everything gets ruined. Yet I end up ruining everything. I don't know if anybody can relate um, with that. Um, So that's uh, God keeps his promises. The next promise is really in connection with God keeping his promises, right? And it's that God has the necessary power. God has the necessary power. We see this promise enjoyed by Sarah in Genesis 21, 1 through 7, at the birth of Isaac, right? So God promises um, to Jacob, sorry, to Abraham that Sarah will give birth to a son, despite his old age and despite Sarah's old age and and barrenness. But I don't want to necessarily key in on this part where she actually gives birth, Let's think back to when the first time Sarah actually felt something in her womb, okay? So maybe it's the morning after she had some lamb and lentils, and she's thinking, wow, maybe those weren't cooked all the way. Um, You know, my stomach feels weird. There's something going on. Maybe she just kind of discounts what she feels in her womb, and then it happens again and then again. And now all of a sudden, something clicks for her in her mind, right? Maybe God can do that. God has done this. He does have the necessary power. I have a baby in my womb. God does have the necessary power to do this. To take an old man, to take an old woman, and to create life. Now that's outside of... Normal ability and power, right to um, to make uh, to orchestrate, uh, you know, different situations and circumstances to where it's just like, you know, I choose to get a regular Chick Fil A sandwich or a grilled Chick Fil A sandwich. It's not a plug for Chick Fil A, but maybe it is. It's deeper than that, right? It's life. Like this is only God has this ability. Only God can do this. And so for Sarah it's a moment in her life in her mind where she goes from doubting to believing to trusting in God's power. Now Sarah's come a long way and we're going to bring her back here for this necessary PowerPoint because we know that in Genesis 18:9 through 15 Sarah doesn't first believe that God has the power to do this, right? And it ends up being a little bit of an awkward situation. Um, So we back to uh, verse 10, you know, the Lord is there with the other two visitors, and they've come to see Abraham and Sarah. They make some food for them. They're in the tent. They're eating. And then the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah, in the midst of her not believing that God had the necessary power, laughs out loud, right? She laughs out loud thinking, what is he thinking? Obviously he doesn't see, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't realize how old this guy is and how old I am and the fact that I've never given birth before. And so she actually laughs out loud because of her unbelief that God can do this. Later on, she's... Uh, confronted with the fact that she laughed out loud, and of course she doesn't admit it. Right? I didn't laugh out loud, and the Lord says, "Oh, but you did." And there's like this awkward, like, okay, you, you know. So, I think it's, I think it's funny. I just like awkward situations. But it's, it's almost like he's calling out her unbelief in that situation. Right? He's like. Why did you not believe? Why are you so stuck and bent on your unbelief in this situation? After all you've witnessed, it, after all you've witnessed, you still don't trust that I have this ability to do this. You're still choosing not to trust in my ability, in my power that I have to be able to do this. The next truth and the last truth that we have. Is it God cares about me personally? Um, I think that sometimes this truth gets lost for us when we think about the grandeur of who God is, and we miss how personal God is in the midst of that. We miss the how relational God is in the majesty of who He is, which is the beauty of who God is is that he can be so mighty and awesome and 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 all uh inspiring but also just uh, deserving of all and at the same time be so personal and intimate with each of his children with each of those who belong to him it's, there's a sweet moment for hagar um in genesis 16:7 through 14 where sarah's angry at her um treats her very harshly. And so Hagar says, the best option for me is to get out of town. So she leaves. She ends up in the wilderness all by herself. And then there's this interaction where this uh, angel of the Lord comes and begins to talk to her and share with her truth about who she is, but then also gives her a promise about what will happen with uh, Ishmael in, inside of her and, and who he will grow up to be and 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 gives her all this... This truth, And so she ends that conversation saying, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. She is not a descendant of Abraham. She's an Egyptian. And for her to come to the conclusion that God cares about me... Should be a huge encouragement for those of us here today who, uh, who are Gentiles. I mean, we're we're on a different uh, aisle here in this. Yet we're treated as God's very own people. And I think for uh, Hagar in this situation, for God to show His uh, personal um, I guess, acknowledgement of the situation that she was in and to care for her in the way that he did was a a huge moment for her in her life where she went from not caring maybe about the God of Abraham to now not caring that this was just the God of Abraham, but that this was God. That this was God who looks after me, who cares about me and my situation, who, who wants to bring comfort to me, an Egyptian woman in this situation, after being dealt with so harshly by Sarah. Um, ironically, Hagar later on becomes the person who exchanges this truth for despair. In Genesis 21, 15 through 16, Hagar again finds herself placed outside of the camp, this time with her son, Ishmael. Um, You know, they've been sent away. And Hagar mentally comes to the conclusion, we're going to die. We're going to die. She doesn't reflect back on the truth that God shared with her about who her son was going to be, about who he would grow up to be, about the fact that he cares personally about her. She doesn't reflect back on that. And so mentally she comes to the conclusion that we're going to die. And so she puts her son over here and then goes and sits somewhere far off so she doesn't have to watch him die because she's given in to the fact that this isn't going to work out, that what God said isn't true and isn't going to happen. And so she gives up on the truth that God cares about her personally in this situation. And instead, she chooses despair instead of comfort, right? In the situation, instead of knowing that God is faithful in this, she chooses despair. Um, so, the the, next, the question for us is: what are we gonna What are we gonna do with this, right? What, How can I take what I've heard today, this truth that's been shared, and apply it to my day-to-day living, my day-to-day living out? Um, So for our, our application today, we need to resolve to practice the discipline of active remembrance. If we're naturally inclined to practice an active exchange, we need to be determined to practice active remembrance. I put in my notes, I said, the discipline of active remembrance serves to protect us from practicing the active exchange of God's all-satisfying truth for the empty and destructive lives of offered by the world and even our own flesh. Practicing active remembrance protects us from giving up God's all-satisfying truth in exchange for destructive lies that the world offers and that we even try to offer ourselves. We have to resolve to practice active remembrance. Right? It's not going to naturally happen. Looked at Romans 1. This is where we've come from. We want to give up the truth for lies, for destructive habits. That's how we are inclined. And so we have no other option but to practice this active remembrance of God's truth, of who he says he is, and who he's proven to be. Um, I think this gets framed up for us well in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It's great because it's got this if-then statement in it, um, which you know, um, it, I like math and whatnot, you know. And so you've got like these uh, if-then statements, or I don't know, maybe it's it's science. It's been a long time since I've been in school, um, but it's basically like if this is true, then this is true, right? And it's, I mean, you see it a lot in in God's Word, and, and it's basically just a simple if-then statement, right? So in Colossians says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek, so it's active, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And it says, set your mind, so that's an active, that's something I'm, I'm actively doing, setting my mind on the things that are above, not on the things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will will appear with him in glory so it's like this is reality of what's happened to you so do these things this is what's happened to you so Do this. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on this world, because here's what's happened to you, right? Seek the things that are above, because this is reality for you. This is what's happened in you. So active remembrance is something that we must do in order to remember the truth about who God is and then live that out. Because we have been raised with Christ, Because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Because Christ is our life now. The second point of application. A little blurry there. We have to work to strengthen the influence of our formal theology. Kids, that says learn more of God's truth down there. We have to work to strengthen the influence of our formal theology. We do this by consistently exposing our minds to the knowledge of God's word so that the truth we know and enjoy makes its way into our everyday activities. So, Adam, how do we do this? What does this look like? We do this by consistently exposing our minds to the knowledge of God's word so that the truth we know and enjoy makes its way into our everyday lives. So we've got active remembrance, but then we got to know what are we remembering. And we strengthen what we're remembering by exposing our minds to God's word so that it has a greater influence on our lives. Right? There's We're relying on it more because we realize how how important, how, um, how satisfying it is. And then it makes its way into our everyday decisions and choices and actions in life. Um, further down in Colossians 3. That's really blurry. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self. So again, this is what's happened to you. This is the reality of what has happened to you. And that new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you've put to death the old self. You've taken it off. And then you're putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in your thinking, and what you know to be true, after the image of its creator. So that new self is the image of Christ, is his image, but it's pointing us back to our knowledge being renewed, how important it is for our knowledge to be renewed if we are to put on the new self. Right? It doesn't just happen. It's not our natural inclination. We have to practice active remembrance. I'm going to pull up the five truths that we looked at today. But I wanted us to have some time. I kind of made some time at the end here. For us just to to meditate on these truths. To think through even our own situations and circumstances that we may be going through right now. And to think through those truths and to ask yourself. Am I living in light of what I know to be true about God when it comes to these truths? truths. So whether it's that God is good, am I remembering that he is good and choosing to remember that in this situation, that God knows me personally, that he He knows me specifically in my circumstance, in my situation. Um, so I'm going to put these up. We're just going to spend a couple minutes just, like I said, just allowing the Holy Spirit to maybe enlighten us in some Areas where we are neglecting to remember this and instead we're exchanging it for things that are not good, that are destructive. So just take some time, pray through this, meditate on it, um, just reflect on these truths like I said and whether or not we're actually living in light of these truths that we have. Father, we just want to take some time to thank you that while at times we falter and and we fail, that you are always steady and unchanging. That you truly are a rock for us in the midst of life and circumstances and difficulties. A rock that is always there for us to hold on to, to hold firmly on and know that you will be faithful even when we are not. That You will be gracious, even when we are not. I thank You that the truth that You've revealed to us through Your Word is powerful. And it does change who we are when we choose to trust it. That it does change our lives and the way that we see the world around us when we choose to depend on it. God, may we take you at your word. May we place all that we are on the promises that you have revealed to us. And be ready and willing to sacrifice all that we have and all that we are. For the opportunity to be yours, to belong to you, to be used by you in this blink of an eye that we call life, Lord, may may we as as fathers here today um, desire to leave a legacy of loving and trusting you and that be displayed before our children in a way that encourages them to trust and depend on you to take you at your word for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're going to do. God, we are undeserving of your love and affection on us, and we thank you that in Christ we are treated as children of yours. May we live in light of that truth today. May we seek, may we resolve, to remind ourselves of those uh, ourselves of those truths that you offer to us in a way that it makes its way into how we live, like you've called it to, like you've told us to, to put on the new self. Lord, thank you for this time today. Thank you for your Spirit that gives us understanding and and brings conviction in our hearts and areas of our lives where. We are actively exchanging truth for what we want. And may we set out today to hand those areas over to you and to say, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I think is my good, but what you know is good for me. God, thank you for being trustworthy, for caring about us personally. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.